So we've been working for many weeks now with this list called the 37 Wings of Awakening. And this is the last week of that series. Next week, Gil Fronstel will be with us as a visiting teacher to talk some about retreat practice, but also I'm sure we'll be answering lots of questions about the new retreat center. So, um, it's interesting to think that there is this list about waking up. And I know, I think at the beginning I mentioned, it's a story I always love about the Buddha, that when he was asked shortly after his enlightenment experience who he was, what he was, because the person encountering him on the road couldn't quite figure it out, his response was, I am awake. He didn't say, you know, I am the Buddha of the age. He didn't say, I've just had this great experience. He didn't say, I'm a deva or a wise person or anything. He just said, I am awake. And I've always liked that story, because, I, partly because I can't figure it out, you know. And so you keep chewing on it, like, what, what, what did he mean exactly to identify with awakeness? So this list, if you remember, has... Um, mindfulness, and it starts with the four foundations of mindfulness. And so the foundation of the body and the feeling tone of your experience, that's pleasantness and unpleasantness, the mind itself, and then the dharmas, the things that you begin to see, which are some of which are these other lists, actually, some of the other lists. And then the second list is the four wise efforts, how to use your energy wisely to to support and uncover skillful states of mind and to um, abandon and avoid unskillful ones. And then um, there was a week when we talked about a list, I always like the name of this list, the basis of power, you know. But it's actually all about concentration. And it's about concentration that's founded on desire and persistence and intent and discrimination. And then if you remember, there's two lists that are just the same. Faith, they're called the five faculties and the five strengths. And we talked about them some again last week, about faith and effort again and mindfulness and concentration and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then yet another list about the factors of awakening. So mindfulness and interest and effort and rapture and tranquility and concentration and equanimity. (coughs) And then our old friend for many of us, the Eightfold Path, uh, which has wise view and intention and then wise action, speech and choice of livelihood and then effort and concentration and mindfulness. So you begin to get this little bit of a chorus happening here, right? You know, if If I were to say to you, well, what are some of the really important things about waking up, you could probably all say effort and concentration and mindfulness because it comes up over and over and over. And I'm interested that these wings are like so many of the Buddha's lists. They're very holographic and no matter where you go in, you know, you come to all of them after a while. And... And there are only a few elements of this list that are not about effort and concentration and mindfulness. One is the element of faith, that place of inspiration and 
you know, the thing that wakes you up. But it's also the place where you, you know what you know, you know, you really can trust what you know. And then completely at the other end of the experience, the place of equanimity and wisdom and insight, of the things that come. So the real sense of these wings is that these are, these are all elements of a process that you enter into. And so I think this question of, well, what is it? You know, we start talking about the wings of awakening. This is all very well. But what is it that awakening is? So I'm a little curious if any of you would offer some of what you thought or, or put together as you listen to other people. I think not to tell other people's stories because that's not yours to tell. But um, I'd, like, I'd be interested in just a little feedback from the groups, if anybody. What, what did you think about waking up? Or not? Mary. Please. There was a common analogy of forcing one to uh, take the issue of awakening. To? Forcing oneself to take on the mindset of awakening. Awakening. But of not, wanting to wake up? Yes. Of, uh, yeah. The okay. wanting part was the forcing is the uh-huh. word. Would you? I'm interested in your word forcing. That is it intention of waking up? Is it sort of placing yourself on that track with a strong intention? Yes. Yeah, okay. I like that a little better than forcing. I think forcing feels a little... Do you think we figured out what forcing... That was the word that we used in the group here, Uh so that's... that's, Okay. Yeah, but the forcing didn't actually work. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, forcing doesn't work. No, it doesn't actually, (laughs) I think. Okay, so some really, but that place of really pointing your mind in the direction of waking up and keeping it pointed there. Yeah, okay, great. I think one thing that I felt about that is that from the place of forcing, Uh which which felt inauthentic, Uh that there's allowing, Uh and allowing doesn't mean just letting things be, Uh but it has intent, so it's a little different than forcing. Yeah, Yeah. so the sense of allowing with intention. Okay. Anybody else? This group was juicy over here, I got it. I thought there were some others. Please. Um, I spent way too many hours one day reading uh, Joe Kovacs uh, every day then. Uh-huh. And it just put me, I couldn't put it down, and then I had to race off and catch an airplane. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I found that it was, it just stuck with me. It put me in this like really lovely little place of complete release. Uh-huh. I, know I was sitting in the airplane, even with small kids at the time, and just thinking, I mean, the kids weren't with me, but that might have changed things. But um, I remember going, I'm fine if the plane goes down. Uh-huh. And, and observing myself uh-huh. being really genuinely fine with the plane going down. And then when I got to my friend's house, I was, I was telling that, you know, I had to take a cold shower because the hot water didn't work, and that was really... Cool and fine, whatever. And so, was there a particular message in the book that? No. Uh, I I don't remember. It was just it's just the whole thing. The way she peels things away and uh-huh. just keeps peeling, keeps uh-huh. peeling, put me in this place. And I remember thinking that it wasn't that it didn't matter that the plane went down. It was that it was this little blip of a ripple, and I could feel myself connected with a much larger universe that made that event that, in normal circumstances of unawakeness matters completely and in that state it didn't matter at all. So that you could carry your awakeness right into that if it should happen. Uh, I can't say that I could have but that's what it felt like at the time. But it was the the, kind of the 
the underlying thing was a, a, a being part of a much larger thing with this little tiny stuff mm-hmm. that normally seems enormous wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. part of what she just brought up a thing that was also in, in my thoughts about this that in, in awakening which for me I definitely think of as a lifelong gradual process that for me it's becoming feeling more connected mm-hmm. with other beings and with everything mm-hmm. but also feeling more comfortable with myself in myself being, being more comfortable being alone but also feeling more connected in it and um, uh, a more open unattached feeling of love for others mm-hmm. yeah. anyone else? Speaking of being alone, I think that's like whenever I feel the most awake is when I can be completely comfortable alone. Because I remember, um, I think the most highest time I've ever had was when I went on a hiking trip in Utah. I was about like 40 miles into the wilderness all by myself, and I was out there for about 10 days all alone. And and you just catch yourself, everything, all your thoughts, and everything. Uh Because there's no one, there's no, there's nothing there but trees, and there's nothing for you to grab a hold of. And you're in your mind and, and the world. And I was reading a human children book, um, When Things Fall Apart, and there was um, a good, um, there was good practice in there as I was hiking. Like every time a thought would come in my head, I would say thinking uh-huh. out loud, really gently to myself. And um, if it was like a future thought, I would just say planning out loud or, you know, past. Or, and then all thoughts just kind of seemed to disintegrate. Uh-huh. And... Um, I haven't been able to put a word on the way that it felt after I completely lost all thought and sitting and the only word I can really say is vibrations and really subtle ones but I can't really explain anything after that so that's an interesting place when even thinking falls away and which it does sometimes in wilderness experiences or retreats and there's nothing but awakeness and and other experiences, it might be vibrations, it might be, there are all kinds of things that happen under that circumstance, but it's definitely not our ordinary, everyday thinking reality where we get lost in the mind. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's interesting hearing this. I suspect we could sit here all evening and tell stories about different waking up experiences because everybody's had something. You know, you have the balloon, you have them with someone else, you have them in a retreat, you have them in the wilderness. Um, you, you know, there's tons of stories in the retreat world about some kind of awakening happening in the dining room. You know, there's not so often it happens on the cushion in retreat. But it's more like when you get up and start moving around and, and then something shifts and you wake up. So, in the traditional understanding, what we're waking up to, there are three main things that you wake up to. You wake up to seeing how incredibly impermanent everything is. Rising and passing, shifting and changing. It's never the same. It's never the same. You wake up to the fact that this thing that we call self is really hard to pin down and it's not really very solid or permanent or ever the same either. And sometimes it seems more present and more in the way, but sometimes it seems hardly there. You know, there's just awakeness, there's just presence in the moment. And then 
Of course, what you also see, one of, perhaps one of the most helpful insights, is that place where every time we try to make this different from that, where you try to grab onto it being in a particular way, you want it to stay the same, you don't want it to be impermanent, you do want to have a self, you want it to be all about me and mine and, and you know, mine. It's, and those are the places where we create suffering over and over and over again. And it would be so, well, I actually don't know if it would be wonderful. We like to think it would be wonderful if we could just get this settled, right? Just figure it out, get it settled, see how it is, and that then we're done, right? You, you understand it. Mm-hmm. And, and we do this, I was astounded. I happened to, my husband is a scientist, as many of you know, and he had a, uh, has a biography of Richard Feynman kicking around. He's one of the great 20th century physicists. And I was just looking through the introduction because I'm kind of interested in that stuff. And Feynman says at one point, he says, um, we're always asking the question, how can this be? How can this be? Whatever the this is, how can this be? And he said, we can't know. I mean, you can't know. Isn't that it's an amazing answer from, from one of the world's greatest scientists. You just, at some elemental level, you can, we cannot know. And we want to know. Boy, we really want to know. And so over and over and over again, it seems to me, that what we're waking up to is that we have to keep on waking up. It is a process, like Heidi said just a minute ago. It's a process that's gradual, and it requires doing it over and over and over again. Sometimes there are significant experiences along the way. Some of you probably talked about them just a few minutes ago. And that you go back to, that you refer to, that you remember. I've thought of the few things that have happened to me. Sometimes it's like, when I'm I'm just too stupid to see something any other way. And so something happens, and it's like being hit over the head with a two-by-four, you know. There's this or that meditative experience. But... Often they don't, for most people, they don't come back more than once. And, and it is just, it's a wake-up call. That's what, that, and so you keep waking up. And you wake up, you know, in that eightfold path that makes it really clear that this is not just about being in the cushion. It's about being in your every life. It's where you're doing your actions, where you're doing your speech, where you're earning your money. You know, it's, it's practical like that. So over and over again... The question is, how do we wake up now? And and this now is going to be different from any other now that you ever woke up to. Because it cannot be the same. It can't. It may be similar, but it's not exactly the same. And so we wake up and we wake up and we wake up and we wake up and... I loved it that you mentioned Charlotte Joko Beck because I was actually just reading um, a memorial for her today and and reminded again of that wonderful thing. It was her last words. And she said, this too is wonder. This too is wonder. So this is a being who was waking up even as she was dying. That's an astounding thing to consider. That, that the 
you know, when they say in Soto Zen that to sit is to be enlightened, I think that's because it's pointing us in this direction of the need to keep looking and seeing what is so in this moment and what is so in this moment. I think our good friend Ajahn Sumedho would probably have been right there at Djokovic's side saying, dying is like this, because that's his way of going into being awake in each moment. What, what this sitting and listening to a talk is like this. Driving your car is like this. Dying is like this. Waking up over and over again. Last week we mentioned a teaching called the Five Recollections. And if you remember, it said, I'm of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I'm of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. Everything that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. All I have is my karma. All I have is the reverberation of our action. And so, you know, it, as we think about waking up, sometimes it's so possible to get kind of mm, yearning for some, this big waking up that is going to allow us to see some sort of ultimate truth and then we don't have to think about it, you know, ever again. And more, you know, when we begin to sort of soften and allow this waking up moment after moment, creating the intention for it that people over here talked about, then we also see that really all we can do, I mean, are you going to see the ultimate truth of all being? I mean, I have four puny inches of gray matter. I don't think so. You know, I don't, if I could understand ultimate truth, it's probably not worth understanding, actually. It's too big, so I can't. It's utterly mysterious. What I do have is the consequences of my actions, and I have the intention to wake up over and over and over again. So when the Dalai Lama, one of the most awake beings walking around on the planet these days, says, my simple religion is kindness, he's pointing exactly at that that we carry that intention of kindness towards ourselves as we struggle with waking up, towards all the people around us, many of whom may not seem very waked up, and we keep creating the intention to wake up because that will be the kindest thing that you can do, both for yourself and for all other people. Galway Cannell has a great poem, a really short poem I quote it a lot when I teach retreats. He says, Whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. Whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. So that's that place uh, waking up to what is again and again and again. So I think I'll stop there and see if we have some further questions or conversations before we close for the evening. Please, Mike. I'm so glad you brought up Ajahn Sumedho because 
That's what I was thinking about after our little group met and I thought, this is the way it is. That single phrase has been so helpful and so sustaining every time I come to it. From, was it two years ago when we were giving that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when we started two years ago. Right, and it just, it's so powerful. It's coming to that moment of, this is the way it is and there's no point fighting it or trying to change it. You can't. Mm-hmm. You just accept it. You're the one and you're there. And now, how are you going to act on it? And how are you going to, yes, exactly. How are you going to act? How are you going to be as awake as right. possible? What's the deepest awakening you can find in this moment? And where is the freedom in this particular moment? It was fantastic mm-hmm. for me. It still is, you know, it's lasted for a long time. It's brought me more peace than anything ever. Okay. Just that little phrase. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just thinking now that Hello, um, teacher. one thing that's important to me was uh, <laughs> the um, understanding that we've all had moments of enlightenment just as the Buddha, mm-hmm. who remembered um, the experience in the Rose Garden. So mm-hmm. Nirvana is not just something that's always ahead of us that uh-huh. we have to get to. Yeah. You know, we've had that experience, <laughs> which is what, in a lot of ways, encourages us to keep wanting to have it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's useful to have that memory, mm-hmm. to take the energy from that experience and keep using it over yeah. and over. Yeah. yeah, I think it's actually really useful to give it that word. Thank you. Because to really acknowledge that these moments of insight and freedom are moments of nibbana. And it might not even be full on nibbana, but it's at least got that flavor. And so that makes it not something that's way out there that some little wizened monk or nun might get to when they're 95 after they've given up everything. It's something that you can begin to realize yourself in your, in your own everyday life. So, Mark, please. Uh, the thing about remembrance was what was on my mind. And um, I seeing that I experience awakening a lot is remembering my intentions. Mm-hmm. And um, those uh, that actually that includes intentions that I didn't know I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I think when you learn the Dharma Dharma, that's an example of remembering an intention you didn't think you had. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it. My intentions basically are, you know, saying that it was the Dalai Lama's at this point, and I'm not sure I remember quite as often as he does, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem. Well, that's all right. You can just practice being the Dalai Lama. <laughs> you know? Please. Um, I was um, thinking, from, I guess from last week when you, you mentioned the karma that you have, and you understand your karma, um, that it's kind of a wake-up call, kind of a, oops, I have some bad intention. I have a little, little drive in here, a little... <coughs> how, one place that I have not been able to extend the compassion and forgiveness to um, where 
my intent is is to um, my <laughs> intent is downright evil, and it's like ah. Oh, you know, Are you doing it? Oh, you know, I'm. Yeah, probably some, but I'm, I'm ref- refraining and uh-huh. refraining. Exactly. And then when you said last week, you said, all you have is your karma. I was like, oh, shoot. I can't do this. <laughs> Darn it. I just I really want to get back at this person. Um, now I also have to go look at all the ways I'm justifying these things. Um and the other thing I'd have to bring up too is, you know, I I have my future security in the stock market, also in, in being managed by someone else. So I opened up the the trade things. It's like, oh God, she brought craft foods. I'm gonna have to call her on that one. Oh no, Coca Cola. Well, there's like three shares, just three shares. And I'm like. I can't do that. I'm part of the I'm part of the mass evil that's going on. Okay, so you're bringing up a bunch of really interesting things, which we won't have time to address all of tonight. But a couple of things I really want to say. It's really important to underline over and over again that this business of karma, and I think you have it pretty clearly, is the reverberation of your own actions. It's not some the understand it's not fate the way it's kind of popularly used like your karma is somehow bad and therefore you're stuck it really does mean that when you do something it has consequences now the focus is really on actions it's not that thoughts don't reverberate they do and obviously if you allow yourself um to think about doing something that's not so skillful and you keep indulging in that fantasy. Probably all of us at some point have done this around sexual issues. That's an easy one to remember. You know, that time that you kept thinking about doing it and thinking about doing it and thinking about doing it and then the occasion arose and guess what? You did it, right? So, but but the, the really important place is the action. So sometimes the mind continues to go towards unskillful actions. But there's also a quite strong force in the mind that says, no, we're not going to act this out. I won't say that or I won't do that. And you do whatever you do to keep yourself from saying it or doing it. And that's actually a really, really important place because that's the restraint from the action that would create really difficult karma. And then gradually, partly what we're doing in the cushion is training the mind, and that's one of those wise efforts, right? Not to go towards unskillful states. So if you're thinking a lot of unskillful thoughts, one of the things to do is you just keep dragging your mind out of that place back to whatever skillful. And then, you know, along the way, we make choices about how we spend our money, what we're doing with our lives, that kind of thing, and you know, more and more congruently with what it is that we're practicing. So again, you know, it gets pretty nitty-gritty, this waking up business over and over and over again in your everyday lives. So I'm going to stop there. If anybody has anything further, you can catch me after. 
Um, I do have a few. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.